Welcome back to The Me Suite. I'm Donna Peters. If you continue to love what you're hearing, leave us a five-star rating and review. It really keeps us alive out here. Let's get in there. I'm in the studio today with Monica Parker. Monica is the Wall Street Journal bestselling author of The Power of Wonder, the extraordinary emotion that will change the way we live, learn, and lead. Monica is also the CEO of Hatch Analytics, and the mantra of this company is with better work comes a better world. I can think of no greater alignment to the me sweet mindset than this, because as you know, as working professionals, we are awake working or doing something related to work more hours in a day than we're awake not working. And it's so important that we put work to work for us. Now, I'm not famous for being ahead of the curve most of the time. I, for example, do not yet drive a fully electric vehicle. But one time in my life, which was exactly two years ago this week, I was ahead of the curve. I was sitting in the studio with Monica Parker, which may be why you recognize her name, and she was talking about this kernel that was just popping about this book that she was about to write. Fast forward two years. This book, just a few weeks ago, was ranked number two against Michelle Obama's number one and was the number one McKinsey book pick. I've already asked Monica for her autograph in case I need it someday for some extra cash to sell it on eBay. Welcome, Monica Parker, to the Me Suite. Thank you so much. With that introduction, goodness, what can I say? Thanks, Donna. <laughs> but is it all true? It, it, it is true. All Embarrassingly, right. yes. <laughs> Wonderful. Congratulations. Thank you so much. <laughs> so I want to start with the basics, Monica. I love words. I was an English major. What is wonder? How are you defining wonder? Yeah, so wonder is kind of a shapeshifter of a word. So we have wonder as a verb, right, which would be to wonder, so the idea of curiosity. But then also we have wonder as a noun, which mm. might be something that would be a catalyst towards awe. And so my goal was to link these two concepts into a single emotional experience. Mm -hmm. So that would be starting with openness to experience, which is one of our, our big five personality traits, mm. then moving into curiosity, which would be to to wonder, um, then that curiosity being specifically deep curiosity, you know, curiosity for curiosity's sake, for the enjoyment of learning. Then moving into absorption, which is really could be both flow state or perhaps just the purity of presence. Mm. And then from that, if we are lucky enough to move then into the two stages of awe. And I see this as a almost cyclical process where the more that we experience each one of the components, the more likely we are to in the future. And so it almost becomes this like upwardly additive cycle. And um, so that's just how I see wonder as an experience. Yeah, I loved learning the difference between curiosity and wonder because it's one of my core values, listeners may remember, as I really appreciated you helping me understand the difference between wonder and curiosity. Could you say a little bit more about how you see the difference? And I'm asking because in the research that I was doing across almost 500 leaders and core values, curiosity made the top three of most common in common core values. Mm. 
How do you see wonder different from curiosity one more time? Sure. So I see curiosity and a specific kind of curiosity as a sub-element of wonder. Uh-huh. So wonder really is, to me, more holistic and overarching. Mm-hmm. Um, it The kind of curiosity that that is wonder-based curiosity is, is very open. Mm-hmm. It's open exploration. It's deep. It's what could also be referred to as epistemic curiosity. So true intellectual enjoyment of the process curiosity, not a, a results-based curiosity. Okay. So there's sort of a surface curiosity, which could be, you know, the kind of Google search to settle a bet. It could be, you know, sniffing milk to know if it's gone off. But it could also be, well, how do we solve X problem? And mm-hmm. if it's about that, you know, really solutions-oriented, um, then that tends to be more surface. We're talking about deep, just the enjoyment of this freewheeling, meandering, wandering curiosity. Yeah. You really helped me appreciate that because, yes, curiosity, personal growth, and learning, but you you helped me appreciate the type of wonder that I have as a gardener, as my listeners know, of, of the, the wonder of putting a seed in the ground and it grows over what feels like forever, and then it lands as a meal on my family's table. That is my expression of wonder and how I determined the difference between wonder and curiosity. And I so love that. You. I love yeah. I love that that idea of just the the genesis of uh-huh. this of this untapped and and unexplored and the potential of the seed yeah. and then what it becomes. Yeah, it's a wonderful analogy. So why this book? Why now? Yeah, so I think it's, you know, there's a bit of a personal why now, you know, my my per- entire professional history, I've been helping people through existential change, mm-hmm. you know, big kind of change, not little change, big, uh, massive, life-changing uh, change. And I wanted to understand why certain people were more buoyant, why they were more resilient mm-hmm. in the face of that change. But also, I think, a, a more globally, sociologically, we as a, a, a society, as humanity, are really overwhelmed. You know, mm-hmm. one in four women in America is on antidepressants. Ninety percent of doctors' visits are because of a stress-related ailment. Wow. Um, statistics say sixty percent of our our jobs will bear little resemblance to what they are, disappear because of automation. That may even change now more because of AI. And so we're we're really at a point of massive turbulent change. And Mm -hmm. I think that you make the point, you know, work isn't working for so many people. Mm -hmm. And I just saw this as an opportunity that uh, I like to say that it's like we've been given the keys to a brave new world and can't quite reach the pedals. Mm -hmm. I feel like this is the opportunity to help us be able to manage and to explore in a more positive way what's happening in our world. Yeah. I love that you mentioned resilience. It is a topic I even have in my own executive coaching practice all the time. For all those reasons you mentioned, you just reminded me uh, that we are in Mental Health Awareness Month right now also. Oh, yes. Even more relevant. So I have heard you speak on, tell me if I get it wrong, the fact that wonder is a not a single valenced emotion. Correct, correct. So teach us what you mean by that and why it is so powerful for us to understand. Absolutely. So... The way that psychologists describe emotions, typically they are singly valent. So they're 
either positively or negatively valence. So mm-hmm. something like happiness would be positively valence. It's mm-hmm. always a positive. Mm-hmm. Something like fear or hatred might be always negatively valence. Mm-hmm. And there are certain emotions that are mixed emotions or duly valence. So wonder is one of them. Another one might be um, nostalgia is oh. another example. Curiosity on its own is a, is a duly valenced emotion. Okay. And the reason why mixed emotions are so powerful, it's, it's two reasons. The first is that any time that we grow our depth of understanding of other emotions, Mm -hmm. of more complex emotions, it means that we grow what's known as our emo-diversity. And when we have higher emo-diversity, it's really helpful for us because the more language that we have to be able to assign to our emotions, it means that we're just better able to identify them and therefore better able to manage them. Mm -hmm. But the other reason also is that We know that if we're able to hold both positive and negative in our mind at the same time, that it makes us more resilient. Mm. And so there's a really interesting piece of research that showed that when widows and widowers, when they reflected on their deceased partner with both the positive and negative elements of their past relationship, they Mm -hmm. were better able to manage their grief. And so when we welcome both the good and the bad at the same time, Mm. then we're able to see the the complexity of a situation in a more holistic way and better able to metabolize that that trauma or that difficult time. And so it really is something that's very powerful and helpful. Mm -hmm. But when we're rushed or when we're busy, we lean on our pre-existing heuristics and we tend to go more towards our single valenced emotions. I hate this person. I love this person. Mm. I'm happy. I'm sad. Rather than really allowing that complexity. And so it's another one of those things that if we can slow down, then it allows us to feel these complex emotions. And that, again, is something that's really helpful for yeah. us. So the subtitle of your book, I think, is very interesting. The Extraordinary Emotion That Changes the Way We Live, Learn, and Lead. We've talked a little bit about maybe more the living and the learning area. Mm. I want to go to the lead area for my listeners for a moment. Sure. So absolutely, I understand as an individual, how could we be bringing more of this multivalenced emotion as an individual? Mm. As a leader in a company where you do so much consulting, what would be the advice in that work environment of bringing wonder into the way we lead and what we expect of our leaders. Sure. So one of the things that we know about wonder is it's known what's it's called a pro-social emotion. So pro-social mm-hmm. emotions are helping emotions. Mm-hmm. And what we tend to find with pro-social emotions is they beget further pro-social emotions. So if someone comes to the table as a an empathetic or a vulnerable leader, which we know has been making headlines for, for a long time, then that means they're naturally going to be more wonder-prone. And in reverse, mm-hmm. if someone comes as a wonder-prone leader, if someone is openly curious, if they are exploratory, if they make the time and space for true presence of of thought, then that means that they will naturally then have this cascading effect of further pro-social emotion. So Mm. empathy, humility. I mean, wonder is fascinating from a point of view Mm. of humility. Mm. Not only does it make people more humble, but their friends perceive them as more humble. So it Uh. actually changes your self-concept. It makes us more ethical, more generous. Mm. And so the, the cascading effects of 
of wonder-based leadership are really impactful. And what we do know from research as well is that CEOs who engage in these activities of being more humble, more empathetic, more wonder-based, they lead more effective middle management teams. What they end up doing is actually empowering their middle management teams more effectively. And then in turn, those middle management teams actually create more engaged staff under them. And so we see that there is this real ripple effect from mm. um, from the leadership down, which we always hope to see, but of course we don't always see. Right. And so it really does seem to um, permeate through all layers of an organization. So over the last few years through the pandemic, I have noticed that empathy, as you just mentioned, has risen to the top of the most important leadership skill, where it used to be things like accountability, listening, mm. collaboration, clear vision, and empathy has been rising to the top. So because I mentioned in my introduction that I'm never usually ahead of the curve, but I have been once with you, I think I'm going to do it one more time. There you go. I'm going to be ahead of the curve in that. Within the next three years, my prediction is going to be that empathy as the number one leadership skill is going to be replaced by something like wonderful leader. Mm. For all those mentioned, all those reasons that you just mentioned, well, what do you think about that? From your lips to God's ears, Donna, <laughs> I love it absolutely. I for me, it's definitely would be the top because yeah. I think it encompasses so many of the things that we want to see. We want mm-hmm. that humility. We want ethics. We want empathy. We want. We still want that exploration. We want yeah. a little bit of playfulness. You know, there's so much that can be encapsulated mm-hmm. in the idea of wonder and and. I see it as more achievable than a lot of these um, that these goals that we set for ourselves. Mm. And again, being that mixed emotion, I think that it's also just good for us. Yeah. So I want to have two challenges with my sweetener. Uh, you know, I always end with what would we what could we be doing differently on Monday? Could we have two though? I would like one for the individual of what I as an individual could do differently on Monday to be bringing wonder into my life. And then what about more for the workplace angle? What could Mm. I be doing differently um, as a leader? And I don't mean an org chart leader. I mean a leadership mindset. Mm, mm. How about those? Sure. So I would say that for the individual, you know, what we know from uh, the research is that our brain notices newness. So any way Mm -hmm. that we can bring a novelty into our world is really helpful. And one of the great ways that I like to integrate novelty with the benefit, what's known as the green advantage of being in the great outdoors, is what's known as a wonder walk. Mm. And so what makes a wonder walk a wonder walk? You decide it is. That's as, (laughs) as simple as it is. There was a piece of research where researchers took two groups of people, had one of them go on just a regular 20-minute walk in nature, and the Mm -hmm. other were just given a one-sentence prime. You Mm -hmm. will find things to feel a sense of wonder about on this this walk. Mm -hmm. And what they found is that the people who took the regular walk, they ended up ruminating about their to-do list and not really focusing on what they were seeing, whereas the people who took the wonder walk actually saw things in their environment were not inside their own head, but present in the space. And what ended up happening is they had, you know, stress reduction benefits and lower blood pressure for almost up to a week following. And so it really has an incredible impact. And I think that also is a great example of just the power of priming. Mm. When we prime Mm. our brain, when we say this is, there's a benefit to this, um, you know, some people say, oh, you know, it's like manifesting and it's the mm-hmm. the secret. And I'm not saying that that's not the case, but really what it is, is your brain has decided that it's going to put more yeah. mental energy. It's going to put that resource towards finding it. And so really priming is incredibly powerful. 
I think from a management point of view, or excuse me, from a leadership, let me Uh clarify uh that because it's not about the org chart. (laughs) From a leadership point of view, I think that one of the great ways that we can bring wonder into our sense of leadership is first to just have that wonder mindset. Mm -hmm. But I think the main thing is to try to create the space and time for thought, Mm. for really just presence. We are in such a hurry all the time, and we're so results-focused. We always have such an idea of how we want to get from point A to point B, Mm. rather than really allowing the journey to be the point. And I understand that we all have KPIs, we all have pressure, But whenever we are under pressure, again, we lean on our pre-existing heuristics. We already decide we know what we're seeing in the world. Our brain has decided, I know what I'm going to see, and I'll only stop when I get to where I want to go. Mm -hmm. And really, the the magic, the beauty, the excitement, the innovation, the adventure, whatever you mm-hmm. want to say, is is in the seeing all of the opportunities that exist. And so by slowing down, by being more present, by taking the time, if you have the time, I mean, Daniel Kahneman said it, if we have time to make a decision, we should. Yeah. And so I think just allowing ourselves the time to be present with ourselves, with mm-hmm. our thinking and with each other. Yeah. One of the things I coach a lot with clients is freeing up time to think. We call it TTT, time to think. And to really do that, and I think move a needle on it, we're going to have to define differently what it means to be productive. Mm. And how do you measure the productive time of being alone and having proper thinking time? So I I hope that for everybody. Absolutely. And it's I, I'll have some people say, well, you know, what's the productivity? And I say, you know, you can be a busy fool. Right. Um, and so I think that productivity mm-hmm. almost in some ways is a red herring. And it's mm. and maybe we should be talking about performance. And, right. you know, because if you look at, say, high-performing athletes, they recognize the importance of rest. They recognize right. the importance of presence. Mm-hmm. And it's not about productivity. You know, productivity mm-hmm. is for uh, widgets on a, a factory line. And performance is about the whole person Love it. and how it is that we can can create that time and space. Yeah. I love that you mentioned athletes too, because they also lean into the power of visualization, mm. which requires the quiet time, the thinking time to envision themselves doing the activity. Uh, I talk a lot about visualization too. I love that one. So I'm glad you mentioned athletes. It's also true with surgeons, Mm. uh, musicians, anybody performing at an elite level of anything, I find. Absolutely. And I think that it's the, it's that, that focus and the, the priming, the, the visualization and, it really, you know, put another tick in the box for why meditation is yeah. great. It's it's about the slow thought and about mm. creating that space in your brain to shut down the ruminating mind, the chattering monkey mind that yeah. we all have, and instead to create some degree of attentional control. And whenever mm. we can create that sense of attentional control, then we can really start to see the world for what it is. Yeah. So clearly I read your book and then I did the exercise of priming my mind that I was going to go on a wonder walk. And so I have I have to tell a funny story. Mm. So I'm wonder walking through my neighborhood and it's springtime here in Atlanta right now. And so all these gorgeous things are coming out of the ground and on the trees. And I found this flower that was growing on the ground uh, in clusters. And I leaned over with my hands on my knees to <laughs> to crouch in, to look further. And it was just fascinating. The petals were gorgeous. The colors were extremely unusual, weird shades of pink. And I stood there for a moment just admiring the beauty of this flower I really had never seen. And a neighbor came out. 
It's not someone I knew. It was on an edge of my neighborhood where I didn't know anybody. And he came out and said, uh, excuse me, do you need help? <laughs> I said, no, 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 I'm fine. I'm just admiring these beautiful flowers. <laughs> well, there you go. Then it was a chance to share your wonder with him. Yeah, so it comes with some risk. There you go. That's you right. You may meet a neighbor. <laughs> <laughs> you, might, you might have to interact with someone. Yeah, so I appreciate so much what you're putting out into the world. And congratulations on all of these successes. And thank you for joining us again two years later to the week in the Me Suite. Amazing, Donna. Thank you so much for being such a supporter. I really appreciate it. This is Monica Parker in the Me Suite, everybody. Thank you for joining us in the Me Suite. For more information about our executive and career coaching services, check out the links in the show notes. And remember, your reviews really make a difference. 